Acts chapter 4, question we've been asking as we've begun this series a few weeks ago is, what would Ventura County look like if Jesus were king? And what should the church look like since Jesus is king? The title of today's sermon is Kingdom Come, Generosity. I'm going to be reading and preaching from the NIV as we will be throughout this entire Kingdom Come series. Today we're in Acts 4, starting in verse 32. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work In them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Friends, this is the word of God for us today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you speak to your people still through your living and active word. We thank you that you know how to speak to each one of your people in exactly the way that we need to hear you speak to us. Thank you that you are well acquainted with where each one of us is at individually and as a corporate people. So we open our ears and our hearts to hear what the Spirit would say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you guys turn? Never mind. There's a really high pitch on that thing, and it's going to drive me crazy. If you can turn it down just a hair, one, one quarter of an inch, turn it down. Sorry. Uh, listen, when my, uh, my daughter, Selah, who's now 16, was a little baby, thank you, that's much better, um, I was not, I, I could not wait, rather, for her to get to every next developmental stage. I was one of those parents that was like, it's awesome that she's born, but when is she going to be able to focus her eyes? And then I was like, it's awesome that she can focus her eyes, but when is she going to say a word, right? I was constantly waiting for like the next thing to appear in her that made her a little bit more like a full grown human being. Like, when is she going to take her first step? When will she finally be able to fall asleep by herself? I'll never forget exactly where I was when she spoke her first word. We were living in this little tiny house in Carpinteria. She was down the hall, around the corner in her bedroom. I was sitting in the living room and I heard this tiny little voice Say, peekaboo. No joke, that was my daughter's first word. And I was so excited to participate in bringing these new things to life. Like however I could help bring this to life, I would, I would do so. But there was one thing that I did not participate in and I was not expecting her to do. And one word I was not expecting her to say. She was probably two or three and she was with a friend. And this friend took hold of one of Selah's toys. And I saw 
the, the struggle rising in Selah's heart and mind as she watched another child play with her toy. And I'll never forget what happened next as Selah reached over with the strength of Samson, <laughs> grabbed hold of this toy, violently ripped it out of her friend's hand and said, mine. <laughs> and we are no different. We don't say it like that, but it certainly happens in our hearts in a more adult way. It's my stuff. It's my house. Hey, that's, that's my time. This is my space. It's my money. It's my retirement. It's my plan. It's my future. All of us are born with this sinful nature that bears sinful fruit, part of which is selfishness. The early church would have been no different in their own human nature. And yet our passage says in verse 32 that no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. What would it look like in Ventura County if Jesus were king? And what would the church look like? Well, it wouldn't look like mine. It would look like what we see in the book of Acts, it would look like radical generosity. But why would people ever live in such a way? And how would they even accomplish that? Today, I'd like to give three reasons why and how we can and should live with the same kind of radical generosity that we see in this passage. Number one, we possess a greater gift. When our son Solomon, our second kid, was born, sorry, Selah, to pick on you, but Selah used to take his toys. And he would, as little babies do, when you take something from them, start screaming. And nobody likes a screaming baby. And so I found a little trick that I would use if I wanted to get Selah to immediately give her brother back what was his. I would give her something better. This is not parental advice, by the way. <laughs> but I would give her something better. And you know what would happen? She would immediately let go of that which she was holding so tightly to. I would give her something more valuable than what she had previously had. What could be so great that it would cause the early church to let go of their most early or treasured earthly possessions? it would have to be something better. It would have to be something better than their most treasured earthly possessions. It would have to be something more valuable than what they valued. It would have to be something more lasting. It would have to be something eternal. Jesus told a story in Matthew 13 about the pearl of great price. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had to buy it. Jesus in this story is talking about himself. What gift could be so great and so lasting that it would cause God's people to let go of our possessions? Jesus. Jesus is the pearl of great price. Jesus is the greater eternal treasure. Paul said it like this, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for the, whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. In the original language, it's, it's dung, right? I consider them like poop that I may gain Christ. You may or may not have caught it, but the first phrase in our passage said, and all the believers were one in heart and mind. Wait, what? One in heart and mind? It's talking about the 3,000 people who just got saved from many different countries with many different cultures, many different customs, many different perspectives, speaking even different languages, all having certainly different opinions. One heart, one mind? Like, what does that even mean, right? To have the same heart and the same mind does not mean that you think the same about every subject. It means to have the same mental and spiritual focus. The early church didn't see eye to eye on everything. In fact, they differed greatly on their opinions on many things. Food, language, clothing, cultural issues. As we see with Paul and Barnabas later, they had differing views on the practicalities of how God's mission should even play out. However, every single one of them agreed on what was most important. And they all agreed that that thing must have the highest and preeminent place in their hearts, minds, lives, and church. They all agreed on this, who Jesus was. That is what united them, and that is what unites us. There is diversity in the body of Christ, absolutely, by design. God made it this way. Uniformity is never the goal. Unity is always the goal. And unity is always possible if the main thing is kept as the main thing. When we keep Jesus at the pinnacle, at the center of all things, the church can be united. As A.W. Tozer says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same tuning fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. How was it that the early church was able to be unified even though they were different from one another? They found a stronger and better treasure. They found something bigger than their ideas and opinions. How were they able to let go of their possessions to the point where it says that no one even saw their stuff as their own? Well, the reason they could be united is the same reason that they could not be selfish. They found something more valuable than their possessions. They found a greater treasure. They found Jesus. The trick to getting my toddler, Selah, when she was a toddler, to let go of something she valued was not to yell at her or force her to let it go, although I'm sure that would work, but it was to give her something more valuable. Now, we're not always gonna get a better earthly treasure, but we do have a better eternal treasure in Jesus. And when we recognize that Christ is the greater and more valuable gift, we too begin to hold everything a little bit more loosely. But it wasn't just that the early church held their stuff loosely. They also gave it away. Why and how would we do this? Why and how could we do this? Well, we do this when we are motivated by a greater grace. 
Number two, motivated by a greater grace. It says in verse 32, and there was no needy person among them. Can we just like pause and just imagine that in our own small church or in the church of Ventura County? If there was no needy person among us, People who, who needed help with their groceries just weren't worried about where they would get help. People who were struggling financially didn't need to struggle. People who needed a job, a job was given to them. That's what the early church looked like. One of the things that brings me the greatest joy as a parent now is watching my, my kids be generous. See, as much as I remember being sad that my kids were selfish, just like all the other kids in the world, I can also still remember the first times that I saw my kids be generous. And to this day, I love seeing Selah, who's now 16, be unbelievably generous with her heart and her love for people who are in need. I love seeing our seven-year-old Kingston share his toys with other children. I mentioned it briefly the other week, but our son Solomon turned 13 a few months ago and all he wanted was cash. It's all of his friends and his family Gave him cash. He had over $700 for his birthday. And a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, recounting with him how he spent his money. And he was like, well, yeah, I got that new skateboard for myself. And I got those, that new hat that I wanted. And then, oh, remember so-and-so, his friend? He was like, he wanted these six socks. And so I bought him some socks. And then, oh, so-and-so wanted this hat. So I bought him this hat. Oh, and then I got that shirt for so-and-so. And, oh, and then what's his name? Wanted a longboard skateboard. And he didn't have money to do this. So I spent like 200 bucks on him. And as he began to recount how he had spent his money, the ways that he had given began to outweigh the things that he had taken for himself. See, it's one thing to just hold loosely, but my son didn't just hold loosely. He began to give away because it's one thing, like I said, to not be selfish, but it's quite another to be generous. It says that there was no needy persons among them. That means that they, just, they weren't just holding things loosely. They were giving things away. Question is, how and why would you live like this? The end of verse 33 tells us, God's grace was so powerfully at work within them that there was no needy persons among them. The NASB translation reads, God's abundant grace was upon them. The literal translation would be mega grace. God's mega grace was working in them. If possessing a greater gift is what motivated them to let go of their possessions, then it was greater grace that motivated them to give away those possessions. Grace, simply defined, is undeserved favor, receiving something that you don't deserve. And James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. That means that everything we have, friends, is actually a gift of God's grace. It is undeserved favor. It doesn't matter how well you've performed or obeyed or not. God doesn't give to us because we deserve or don't deserve. When God gives to us, he's not responding to our actions. Listen, you need to hear this, especially if you're a new Christian. Maybe if you're an old Christian, you've been taught something else. That's not true. God does not give to you because of your actions or it doesn't punish you by not giving to you. God gives because that's who he is. The most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave. It is in God's nature to be generously giving. It's who he is. 
Bible actually says that what we have earned is death. Our sin leads us to death. So anything other than death is actually a gift of God's grace. And for the Christian, not only has God not given us eternal death, but he has given us eternal life and on earth life more abundantly. Christian, if you have received nothing else, listen to me today. You have received abundant and eternal life. That means that you are now forgiven. You are delivered from eternal death. You have been saved and you have been given the greatest gift of all, Jesus. The early church had received Christ as a gift of God's grace. They had received salvation as a gift of God's grace. They had just a couple days earlier received the Holy Spirit as a gift of God's grace. And they had received physical blessings as a gift of God's mega grace, as it says. And what we see here is that this grace was not only working to them, but it was now working in them. They were motivated by this grace. Emily and I don't, don't have a lot of money, but we love to give. But not always. Because <laughs> I'm going to be honest, man. I, uh, <laughs> there are often times when I don't want to give anybody anything. Even when I see that there are needs and even when we might have the means to give. I'm not going to tell the story now, but... Um, this last year, we actually had our life savings stolen from us. And uh, when that happens to you, it causes you to want to hold on to everything that you still have and anything that you might receive in the future. And that's what I'm tempted to do. But then I remember Jesus. <laughs> I remember the grace of God. And I remember how God says to us in Philippians 2, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. If Jesus did not count his equality with God as something to hold on to, then who am I to hold on to that which I have received from God? What would it look like in Ventura County if Jesus were king? It would look like radical acts of generosity in the church. But how and why? Well, it would not be because we suddenly started trying harder to be greater Christians it would be because we were motivated by greater grace. Radical generosity is a response to the radically gracious generosity of God. We are all naturally selfish like my toddlers were, which means there has to be something greater to motivate us. The mega grace of God upon us is what motivates us. How do we know if God's grace is actually motivating us? How do we know then if Jesus truly is our treasure? Point number three, we will be moved to greater generosity. The early church knew that they had received by grace a greater treasure 
Jesus. And it was this gift of grace that motivated them and ultimately moved them to greater generosity. One of the great lessons of God's economy is that whatever is received in the kingdom of God is meant to be given away. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. Everything that God gives to us is a gift of grace to us, yes, but it is not just for us. That means that our our money is not just for us. Our possessions are not just for us. Our time, our treasure, our talent is not just for us. This is a biblical truth that goes all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, when God said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. God provides for his people then through his people. When God wants to bless his people, he does it through his people. Several years ago, I was on staff at Reality Carp and I was also doing music and my music career was just starting to take off at the time, but I wasn't making enough money to actually do full-time music then. And then God spoke to me about my new album I just released and I felt really clearly that he wanted me to just give it away. He didn't want me to sell it. And I was like, that's cool, man. I I have a normal job anyways. Like I don't need the money. And then a couple days later, it's a crazy story, but um, (laughs) I accidentally resigned from Reality Carp. It's a funny story. I'm not going to tell you now, but suddenly within 24 hours, I had no more (laughs) job. And uh, I had no real money because the only way that money, you can really make money at the time with, it was touring or selling records, you know, CDs. It was 12, 12, 13, 15 years ago. Gosh, I feel old. Um, And so I, I quit my job there and suddenly we were in great financial need. We had just bought our first house and I was convinced that we were about to lose it. You know, I was like, okay, we're going to move in an RV. No big deal. All right, we're going to lose our house. But God always provides his, for his people. And uh, my last week at church, some dude who I'd never met before, didn't even go to the church, called the office and asked to speak with me. And he's like, hey, man, I, I heard about what God's calling you to do and step out in faith like this. And he told me I'm supposed to give you uh, $10,000. And... I was like, wait, what's your name? <laughs> and he was like, I don't, we don't need to be friends. We don't even need to hang out. I just need to obey God. I need to get this check to you. And that was the beginning of God once again in another season of our life where he asked us to step out in faith and we weren't going to have any money and we were in great financial need, God providing for us. But do you know how God provided for us? He did it through one of his people. God will always meet our needs, but he's going to do it through his people. This was true of the early church. This is true of my family. And this is true of your life and your spheres of influence. I've seen it even in this season, just in and through Reality Ventura. Even with the Chaddocks, when they moved here just a few months ago, they didn't have any appliances. They didn't have any furniture. And y'all stepped up and gave to them, provided for them. I saw just this last year, uh, two different young married couples who needed a car but didn't have money to buy a car. Y'all stepped up and gave your cars away to people. At the beginning of the the lockdown last year, a family came to us with a stack of gift cards and they said, hey, we got that stimulus check. We don't really need it. We bought a stack of gift cards for the church to distribute to anybody who's in need. 
Last year, I remember we were going to youth camps and we, we shared with you guys, we said, hey man, we, we need some scholarships to send some unchurched kids and some needy families who have kids who want to go to youth. We, we need some scholarships. And at least two of you came up to us and just wrote blank checks. You said this is for anybody, however much you need to go to camp. And there's still fruit that is being born from that. God provides for his people, but he does it through his people. Which means then that if we see a need, it's most likely because God wants to involve us in meeting that need. It doesn't have to be some organized thing with an organization. It doesn't even need to be facilitated by the church. You see a need, you meet the need. Because God has been generous with us, we then ought to be generous with one another. But Dom, I ain't got no money. Maybe when I have money, I'll be generous. I get it. Dude, I'm a pastor and a musician. These are not lucrative careers. <laughs> but I am so encouraged by what Paul wrote about the Macedonian churches in 2 Corinthians 8. Listen to this. In the midst of a very severe trial, okay, these people are struggling. They're struggling. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You do not need to be greatly wealthy to be greatly generous. He goes on, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus, who was rich, made himself poor so that he could make us who are spiritually poor rich. The point is you do not need to be greatly wealthy in order to be greatly generous. Christian, no matter what our individual bank accounts look like, we can lead the charge in caring for those in need, not because we have a lot, but because we have been given a lot. We're called the body of Christ, right? And we pray Lord, let your kingdom come, like Jesus taught us to. We sing it. Lord, let your kingdom come. We want God to manifest his kingdom and everything that comes with his kingdom in our community, in our lives, in our families, in our friends, in our workplaces, in the schools. Lord, let your kingdom come. And he says, yes, I want to, but I'm gonna do it through you. I'm gonna do it through you because you are my body. Friends, part of what it looks like for God's kingdom coming in Ventura County is us being generous to others like God has been generous to us. And it is all a response to what God has done for us. This isn't communism, right? This isn't communism where communism says, what's everyone's is yours. Christianity says, what's mine is yours. Christianity puts the focus on the individual to choose to be generous as a response to God's generosity toward us. What does this mean, Zom? Like, I got to sell all of my stuff now? No, communism says you got to do. This is between you and God. I got to sell all my stuff and give it to the poor? That's not even what this passage is saying, by the way. This is not a specific passage about here's exactly what you do. Everyone sells their homes. They take the money. They bring it to the church. The church distributes it. In fact, that's, it doesn't even say that everyone did that. It said from time to time, some people sold their homes. Other people kept their homes. And this was their act of generosity. They opened their doors so that they could have church gatherings at their homes. 
The point isn't this or that. The point is the posture of the heart. It is a heart posture of holding on to Jesus so tightly that it allows us to hold everything else more loosely. It is a heart posture of being so thankful to God for his generous grace that we too then respond to others in generosity. And as God's people, we can and should do this. The truth is, apart from Jesus, we are all selfish like my toddlers were. But that is not who we are anymore, friends. We are new creations. And because we have been born again, we're not carnal kids, we're kingdom kids. And as kingdom kids, we can reflect the generous nature of the king. And when we do so, it actually points people back to King Jesus. As Jesus said, as I've loved you, now you love others. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Friends, our communities, our families, our workplaces, our schools, our friendships need to see Jesus. This kind of generosity puts Jesus on display. We want the kingdom of God to come in and around us. But God brings his kingdom through his people. And part of how he does this practically is by us giving away what he has given to us. And isn't this what Christ has done for us? He gave his life to us so that we might live. For though he was rich, for our sake he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. How can we be moved to this kind of generosity like the early church? We don't try harder. We don't need to motivate ourselves with shame and guilt. Rather, we rehearse all the ways that God has been generous to us. And we do it over and over and over again until our hearts begin to well up with the kind of gratitude that turns into a response and to action. And if you're not a Christian here today, you can respond to God today by receiving this grace, by receiving what you don't deserve. The Bible says the wages of your sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Today, you can put your trust in Jesus. You can receive the forgiveness of sins. You can have new life in Christ. You can be brought into the family of God. Today is the day that you can receive Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of adoption. You have chosen us who were spiritual orphans to be adopted into your family and we say thank you. Would you help our hearts now to be keenly aware of that reality that everything we have received starting with just the breath in our lungs is a gift of grace. And would you now well up gratitude in our hearts that would unfold into a response. Help our eyes to see 
what is true about how much you love us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you can say a simple prayer to him if you need him. And you do need him. (laughs) But if you want to receive him, you can say a simple prayer. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner who needs a savior. I want to receive your gift of eternal life. I want to receive your love and the forgiveness of sins. I want to be in your family. I give my life to you today. If you've just prayed that prayer, someone on our ministry team would love to come and pray for you individually, give you a Bible, exchange phone numbers in case you want to talk or have questions. If that was you and you just prayed that prayer, would you just slip up your hand real quick? Today you're receiving Jesus. I see you in the back over there, yeah. Is there anybody else? Just hold your hand up so I can see you. Anyone else who today is receiving Jesus? Even right now, by you raising your hand, you could say, dude, that's me, I need Jesus. That's me, I need Jesus. Yep, I see you over here. Anyone else? You can raise up your hand, and by raising your hand, you're saying, I, I, I'm confessing that I need Jesus today. I need a Savior. Anyone else? Okay, as we worship now, this is the time for us to respond. We're going to sing about how God has saved us. Friends, you may not have a lot. You may have no earthly possessions. But honestly, who gives a rip? We have been saved, friends. There is much to rejoice about today. There is much to rejoice about. Don't rejoice that you've got a such and such. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let that gratitude well up in our hearts today. And if you need prayer for anything, the prayer team is going to be on the right and the left of those big signs that say prayer team. They're in green shirts. They would love to pray for you about anything going on in your life. And if you'd like to take communion to remember what Christ has done and let that help you well up gratitude, there's little communion elements over at the welcome tents. We invite you to partake of that if you are a believer. Let's respond now in worship.